message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would turn in your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 6. It is hard for me to believe, at least, that here we are, the last installment. We've made it all the way through the book of Galatians after today. So as you're turning there, let me just say a a couple of words of introduction. At this point, an introduction is almost just, you know, it's a foregone conclusion. We've been through the whole letter here uh, of Paul's writing to these churches but let me just tell you what I've noticed. I think there's a, a common, maybe unfortunate, trend in the world in general, but in the United States in particular, where many people seem to desire, maybe even crave, attention for themselves. And, and I don't mean just... Uh, a little bit. I mean, to where the to the point where maybe it makes a person uncomfortable if they feel like they're not being noticed enough. And and, and here's what happens though: if that is the case, then it will lead to uh, passive aggressive behavior uh, bordering on sociopathic. And, and what I mean by that, you know what a sociopath is. It's different than a psychopath. Okay, it's two distinct terms. A sociopath is someone who will manipulate and will uh, do just about anything to get what they want, regardless of who it hurts along the way. And it, that's a that's a clinical problem. Okay, when it gets to that point. But but here's the here's the the thing that I, I'm noticing. You know, when you I love the people watch. I don't know if y'all do that, but I I, I do that. I, I enjoy that. Uh, just kind of like make up stories in my mind. I wonder what they do for a living. I wonder where they're from. You know, what, you know stuff like that. But the problem is, if that goes unchecked and and you find yourself trying to focus all the attention on yourself, that has consequences, right? And the odd thing about it is Christianity provides almost a polar opposite to that principle. To where the focus and attention, instead of being on me and what I want, it is all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Because the focus is not on me. The focus is on Jesus. And and you remember what, what, uh, was, what John the Baptist said? In the third chapter of John's Gospel, he must increase, I must decrease. That's that's uh, the antithesis to the world, right? So if there was ever a time when the focus should not be on me, it has to be my salvation. Because... All I have done is sin and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And all Jesus has done is everything else. Jesus went to terrible lengths to purchase my redemption. And, and He secured my eternal dwelling place in glory. So it's only fitting then that Jesus should be the focus of all praise and all adoration and all bragging. I've got a reason to brag. And His name is Jesus. So with that in mind, let's look at what Paul says as he concludes this letter. Galatians chapter 6, I'll start in verse 11 and we'll finish out the chapter and the letter. Here's what the Bible says. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. All those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today that you'll speak clearly to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'll make my words clear and that you wouldn't allow me to distract from what you want to say to us. And help us to hear, help us to understand Help us be obedient. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This text of Scripture, um, as it's a conclusion to a letter, is really interesting because one thing I found reading through this letter and especially this last section, there's still a common theme through this whole letter. There's still uh, a word about the theme of the whole letter. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and it is not of ourselves. It's not what we can do. We, it's, it's almost as if Paul said it once, he said it a thousand times. You can't be good enough. You can't do good enough. You can't do enough good to be right with God apart from Jesus Christ. That's the, the simple truth of the gospel. We need Jesus more than anything else in this world. Our, li our, our lives depend on it. So in this closing section of Galatians, Paul says a few things. And I've got just, just three main points here in this last section that I want to look at. The first one is this. Remember the truth. Remember 
the truth. Paul starts his conclusion here. He says, look at the large letters I've written. And then he says, interesting, with my own hand. So what it's uh, believed about this letter and about some, several of Paul's letters, he, he would um, dictate, uh, and, and quite honestly, a couple of his letters he wrote from a prison cell. So he, you know, he's having to dictate some things and somebody's writing his words down as he says them. But when he gets to the end here, this, this letter was most likely written at his home church and sent back to this region. So he wasn't in prison when he wrote this, but uh, he probably had someone that's writing his stuff down. But then when he got to the end, he said, hey, let me finish it up. You know, something like that. So here, he's actually writing the conclusion, perhaps, himself, where he may have dictated the rest of it. And so he wrote this with his own hand, large letters for emphasis of his convictions that he tried to communicate clearly in this letter that the Holy Spirit had flown through him to write down, to tell the church what they needed to hear. And look what he says in these, in these last, the, the first three verses at least, 11 through 13. He's talking about the people, these Judaizers, who have caused all this trouble about the false teaching. And he says about them, they're just trying to get you to do something that will make them feel better about themselves. Okay? So, so look what he says. Verse 12, they're trying to make a good showing in the flesh, trying to compel you to do something, simply so they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You know why that is? What is the message of the cross? It's Jesus plus nothing. Right? It's not Jesus plus you got to do this or that or this list or you have to keep this law or what. No, it's just Jesus plus nothing. And so, in order for them not to be persecuted, they're trying to make a good showing to their friends, to their peers that think that you still have to abide by the Jewish law. That's why they're called Judaizers because they're trying to mix the gospel with Judaism. Right? They're trying to say, all right, you can believe in Jesus, but you also have to do these things. And that's simply not the truth. So Paul's trying to, to stress, remember the truth. They want to avoid persecution on account of the cross, but they're not even keeping the law themselves. So that's a, an important point here. Verse 13, they don't even keep the law, but they want you to be circumcised so they can boast about you. In other words, hey, I got them, to, I convinced them. We convinced them to, to go along with it. You know what that means? They want to boast about something someone else did. Here's an illustration that might bring this, this concept home of what's happening here. Anytime I go to a, a meeting of preachers or church representatives beyond our community, like say I go to the state, South Carolina Baptist State Convention meeting, happens every November. This year it's going to happen, I believe, over at Riverland Hills Church over in Columbia in Harbison area. And so, you know, they have to have a big church because people from all over the state are coming. Or maybe in, the, in the, the national meeting, like last year, it was in Nashville, Tennessee. I drove up there, went to the Southern Baptist Convention national annual meeting in June. You know, thousands of people from all over the country. But here's what you can observe if you go to one of those meetings. Not everybody, and maybe not as much anymore. But here's what you'll see. Preachers talking to one another. 
hey, how's your church doing? Now, is that out of a genuine concern? Well, hopefully, but, but maybe not. Here's what, here's what the real question is. What's your uh, attendance looking like? How many people are you baptizing? And, and you know what that question says? Let me compare that to what I'm doing to see if I can brag. Let me see if I'm doing better than you're doing, and then I can feel better about myself, and then I can, hey, well, you know, so-and-so is doing this, but hey, we're doing this. We're doing a lot better. So, so it's not really necessarily a question of concern. It's a question of, let me compare what we got going on to something somebody else has got going on, and then I can brag about it. I want to make a good showing in the flesh. You see what I'm saying? That, that's what's happening here. They're, they're trying to come up with something to brag about. Timothy George, who wrote a, a fabulous commentary on Galatians, he says, the only antidote to the poison of pride is the daily self-crucifixion of the flesh with its passions and desires. John Owen said years and years ago, the great Puritan, he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And pride is right there at the top of the list because it leads to so many other sins. Pride and selfishness. So we have to remember the truth. Number two, Brag on Jesus. Brag on Jesus. If you're going to brag, brag on Jesus. That's why I, call, I titled the sermon today, I've got a reason to brag, and I do. And it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. Paul says, God forbid I would ever boast about anything other than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ because he says, through the cross... The world has been crucified to me. And through the cross, I've been crucified to the world. You know what that means? I'm dead to it. It's dead to me. The, the world has no allure anymore. I don't need what the world is trying to offer me because I've got something so much better. C.S. Lewis wrote that if you find within yourself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most logical conclusion is that you were created for another world. And it's not on this earth. It's with Jesus. That he's the only one who will satisfy. And so Paul says, God forbid that I ever brag about anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ. And then he says, in verse 15, almost a, a repeat of something he said back in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. He said, circumcision isn't anything, uncircumcision isn't anything. Here he says, it's a new creation. Back in ver, uh, chapter 5 verse 6, he says, it's faith working through love. But what is this he's talking about? It's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. That's not the point. The point is a new creation. What does that mean exactly? What do you recall what Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17? And he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what Jesus does for you. Right? Jesus doesn't come to make... Oh, this is good. Jesus doesn't come to make a bad person good. He comes to make a dead person alive. 
It's a complete transformation. We, we can't be made... You understand? We can't be good enough. He, he's not coming to try to, to change your morality. Now that'll happen as a byproduct. He's coming to give you a new life. A new life. Old things passed away. Paul says over and over and over in these letters, put off the old man. Put on the new man. You're a, you're a completely different person. You're a new creation. And that's what matters. And then he says in verse 16, if you'll live by this rule, this is, I'm going to come back to this in just a second. This rule, I, lo- I love that word. Well, what's the rule? The rule is, if you'll live by this, if everybody who is saved by grace through faith in Christ, that, that's who he's talking about. Peace and mercy to those folks. And then he says to the Israel of God. But let me just come back to this word here. The Greek word for rule, he's talking about a straight rod, like a measuring rod, like a, uh, like a standard, like a benchmark. Like if you're going to do a comparison of some things, you have to have something to compare to, right? Did you know that we wouldn't know how long a yard is unless we had a yardstick? Right? You got, or a measuring tape. You've got to have something that is the standard of measure. And if you don't have that, then you'll never know if you're, if you're right, if you've got it just right. And so Paul says if you'll you live by this rule, it's like a, a principle or a law. And, and that rule is if you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he, he mentions at the end of the verse, and... The Israel of God. Remember when I said the theme of the letter is still rolling through here, even at the very end? Who is the Israel of God? Now, Israel was the name of Jacob. Got his name changed, right? But, so when, when in the Old Testament we said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he changed his name to Israel, right? The twelve tribes. Okay, but... Who is the Israel of God? See, this is reinforcing that concept of justification by faith, not works. And see, not everybody who is from the family line of Israel is actually in the family of Israel. Does that make sense? Look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. You just flip back a page or two. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29 If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs according to the promise of God. So, what is the distinction for how you are the Israel of God? You belong to Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, you're a part of the true Israel of God. So if you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins and you've come to trust Jesus alone for your salvation and forgiveness, then you are in the Israel of God. You're part of the family. So we need to remember the truth. We need to brag on Jesus. And finally, number three... Own your faith. Own your faith. Paul's gotten to the end of his letter here. In verse 17, 
He says, from now on, nobody's going to cause me any trouble. And he makes the most interesting statement. He says, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. A lot of talk about what that means. Well, let me tell you what it means because there's a very specific Greek word that he uses here. Stigma. That's the actual, actual Greek word, no transliteration. Stigma. You heard that word before? Like there's a stigma attached to, you know what I'm saying? How is someone recognized? How, how is Paul declaring he is recognized? I have in my body the stigma of Jesus. I'm carrying it around. In other words, I've been persecuted. I've got some scars. I've got some evidence on my body that I've been serving Jesus. But not just that. Not just physically. Spiritually. I bear a resemblance. I carry it around with me. You remember what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 7? He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about his, his body. Earthen vessel. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. For we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. I'm carrying around the stigma of Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples, if any man come after me, he needs to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Carry that thing around. So then, if, can you imagine? I've seen this before, by the way. Uh, Lexington, Columbia, around Easter. I've seen a fella or two Walking down the sidewalk. Cross bigger than this one. Big cross, just walking it down the street. You ever seen, anybody ever seen that? Hard to uh, misunderstand what's happening there, right? They're literally carrying their cross. So Paul says, nobody's going to cause me any trouble anymore because I bear on my body. I'm carrying it around with me. The stigma, the brand of Jesus. Now I know there's some folks in this room that know what a brand is. Got some cattle. Don't want there to be any misunderstanding on who they belong to, right? So what do you do? I'll put that brand on there. Now, you, listen, listen. Everybody's going to know that one's mine. Paul is carrying around a brand of Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a 
Man, if any of you ever want to take a, a, a slow read of a, an amazing book, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, I won't go into a lot of the background. Just Let me just read this that he wrote. The baptized Christian has ceased to belong to the world and is no longer its slave. He belongs to Christ alone, and his relationship with the world is mediated through him. The old man and his sin are judged and condemned, but out of this judgment a new man arises who has died to the world and to sin. Remember what Paul said in verse 14? If I'm going to brag, I'm bragging on the cross of Christ because through the cross of Christ, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Flash forward from the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels. and Flash forward to the book of Acts when the New Testament church is just beginning to catch traction. Right? Acts 2, Peter stands up and preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people get saved, and then the church is birthed, and, and things are happening. He heals uh, someone as they're walking up to the gate, and a man uh, standing there, or sitting there, begging, and he, he heals him. And he gets in trouble, of course, you know. It, no good deed goes unpunished. So they get in trouble. Well, if you read on to Acts chapter 5, and... Peter and the boys are in, in trouble. And while they're in jail awaiting this verdict, a fellow by the name of Gamaliel talks to the religious leaders. And he says, hey, here's my advice. Just let them go. And here's his, here's his logic. Here, and he gives a little history lesson. He, he mentions some other folks. And he says, well, you know, this guy rose up. and People were following him, but then he came to nothing. And then this guy rose up and had a few people after him and it came to nothing. So here's what you need to do. Just let them go because if they're not with God, it's going to come to nothing. But then he said, but if they are with God, there ain't nothing you can do about it. <laughs> so you might as well just let them go because you don't want to be fighting against God. So just let them go. So you get to the end of chapter 5, around verse 40. And it says, in the Bible it says, they listened to him. And so they got Peter and the apostles, and they beat them one more good time, and then they let them go, and they told them before that. Now, y'all don't ever say anything else about Jesus, okay? But if you look in your Bible, Acts chapter 5, verse 41 and 42, here's what you'll read. They went on their way, from the presence of the council, and I'm paraphrasing, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer. Do you hear what I said? They rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Not worthy to be a member of a church, not worthy to be in a position of leadership, worthy to suffer. That's a perspective change, isn't it? And you know what it says in verse 42? <laughs> That's my favorite part. Not that they were just 
rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer. But then it says in verse 42, And so they went on their way every day, every day in the temple and from house to house, kept right on preaching Jesus as the Christ. Tell me, I ain't going to preach about Jesus. They say, okay, yeah, whatever. Every day. Every single day. So it makes sense that Paul would say, nobody's going to cause me trouble anymore. I've got the brand of Jesus. And then he says, in closing, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. So here's a question for us. Who's your master? What brand do you have? I know to you know to the average person that a lot of people may not know how to answer that. That's kind of an odd question. But for the follower of Jesus, there's really only one appropriate answer. Jesus Christ is master, savior, redeemer, friend. There, there isn't anyone else. There isn't anyone else. He paid the ultimate price to purchase our salvation. We, we should be bearing the image of Christ in our, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in our, in our whole life. We should be representing Jesus to the world. Because the world desperately needs to know. See, we, we sit, we're sitting in here, and, and this safe in here. It's safe in here. I'm talking about when we leave here, tomorrow, this week, when it's not so safe. You know what they used to say? I think it was uh, where the Cubs play baseball at Wrigley Field. They said, we're in the friendly confines. You know, we're in, we're, right here, we're in the friendly confines of the church. But not out there. We can all stand and testify in here. What are we going to do out there? Right? When it matters, when, it, when we have opposition, what are we going to do out there? What, when, when we're worried, when I'm in 11th grade and I'm walking in my school and I'm worried about what folks are going to think about me, I'm worried about my reputation, what then? Am I going to be bold about Jesus? What if I'm on a college campus and where most public colleges are overrun with secular liberal ideas? Not about Jesus. Most public schools. And I'm, you know, an upperclassman at college and I'm in that context. Am I going to be bold for Jesus? I'm on my job. I don't want... I don't want to be treated poorly. I want to just do my job. And, but, but I know I've got people around me that need Jesus. What am I going to do then? How about everybody's got to go through uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas? What if I'm with my family? And I know good and well, and I, I'll bet you right now, everybody in here, almost, you've got a family member just popping in your mind. 
doesn't know Jesus. Needs to know Jesus. Maybe that's, you, maybe that's your assignment. What then? Am I still going to be bold for Jesus? Is he, is he still worth it when I'm outside the friendly confines? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need y'all to help me with this conclusion. Maybe this will be a little encouragement. He makes a way where there ain't no way. He rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and His grace is free. The good news is I know that He can do for you what He's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah. 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 Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.